people of God here tonight, with, with this command over the years, it, it seems like we've really focused on, at, at least in, in my experience, we tend to focus on the do not do any labor part and the idea of the Sabbath rest. And, and sometimes that approach has led to a lot of worrying about what we shouldn't and can't do on Sundays, or, or maybe it's just that we really enjoy naps or something. Now, this approach, I'm not saying rest is not part of the commandment, and I am not someone who's against naps, but that do not do any labor and resting in terms of not doing anything, that's not the focus we get here, is it? That's not the main focus. In our lesson today, keeping the Sabbath day holy is not interpreted as being all about having a quiet and restful day, but instead, activity is focused on. Lots of activity, actually. We're going to explore this commandment tonight under the theme, how the Sabbath day aids in our quest for holiness. Sabbath is simply the Old Testament word for the day of rest. Saturday then, it was shifted to Sunday after Jesus' resurrection which happened on Sunday in the New Testament. How does this command, there are a lot of ways we could approach this. Tonight, how does this command help us in our quest to live for Jesus? And this, is a, this is a commandment that, uh, that, that Christians can, can tend to ignore. I've even heard Christians say, well, it's not really specifically um, restated very clearly in the New Testament. This, this isn't really applicable. I've heard believers say that. Or, or if we do believe, we, we, we tend to say, hey, yeah, we should go to church. Yeah, but then that, that's about the extent of our Sabbath observance. But I believe that if we ignore the full meaning of this commandment, which our Bible study series, the Catechism, really gets at, if we fail to see all that, we're really missing a tremendous help in our lives, in living before God. So with the catechism as our guide, let's dig in. One, we're called to remember. We had four points this morning, four points tonight. Don't let anyone ever tell you we only do three-point sermons here at Faith. Sometimes they're four. We're called to remember. The fourth commandment is the only one that says this. So we should pay attention to that word. We need to Remember the Sabbath day, the day of rest. A soldier engaged in spiritual warfare is busy. A pilgrim on a quest to seek the Lord and the holy city gets weary. Christians are busy. Calvinists certainly are busy and active. We're working to serve God in every area of our lives. In every corner of the kingdom, we're seeking to transform every square inch of the world. That can be downright tiring. That can be downright tiring. You think shoveling snow was a lot of work this past week after the storm? Those of you that were here and not skipping town in Honduras, you think that was a lot of work? Shoveling snow, that's nothing compared to our day-to-day mission, people of God, our day-to-day work of serving God, 
serving others with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We need to remember to rest or we're going to collapse from the battle, from the work, from the fight, from the striving. We've talked about this before, but remember this, that when God calls his people to remember, biblical remembering is not photo album remembering. It's not, oh, those were great times remembering. It's not listening to 80s music, nostalgia remembering. It's not remembering the good old days of America and the church remembering. Covenant remembering is calling to mind the past in order to make a difference today. Calling to mind the past in order to live today. Ecclesiastes 12.1, remember your creator, not just think about your creator, but call him and his promises to mind to live for him today. Live in his salvation. Claim the promises, they're for you. Remember the promises of God. Remember his love. Remember the cross. Don't forget. Because God knows how forgetful we are. God knows that we are so busy and that we get caught up in life and the busyness that we're going to forget. So we need to stop our normal activity and do that. Not once a year, not every once in a while, not a quiet retreat every once in a while. That's not a bad idea. No, every week God has a retreat for you built into life, built into how a believer is called to live one day in seven the retreat of the Sabbath day, God says, one day in seven, rest. Remember, call to mind my great deeds, my love, my promises. And when you do that, soldier, you can go back into the thick of the battle again. And then the next week, a week from today, you're going to be able to stop and rest again. Your wounds can be mended. You can rest. And, And God, in this way, will see us through to the end. God says, I'll I'll, I'll bring you through to the end of your life, or if I return, just follow me in this, in this pattern. Don't forget. Remember. Second, we're called to have festive rest. What does that mean? It sounds, if I'm thinking of my girls, a festive rest might be a slumber party. Festive means party. But the creators of this study pulled together everything the Bible says about the fourth commandment, and they say in there, this is the festive day of rest. Isn't that interesting? We're called to have a festive rest. How many of you grew up with Sundays as a festive day? How many of you are instilling in your own life and in your own households, a festive attitude about Sunday. How many of us are working hard to make sure worship here at Faith on Sundays is festive, celebratory? I don't know. I feel like not too many of us can say yes to those. But if the day is not festive, or if it's downright dreary or boring... It's certainly not the fault of our Reformed forefathers. And that's because the Heidelberg Catechism here chooses to do something very different from the Puritans on its approach to Sundays. 
And, and out of that came especially a document in the 17th century that we have a lot of connection with, we love too, the Westminster Confession. That does something very different. It spells out what's forbidden, talks about profaning the day by idleness or by doing things that are sinful or by having unnecessary thoughts, words, works, thinking about our worldly employment or recreations. Now, see, that's especially the Presbyterian tradition. At the height of this frenzy of do's and don'ts related to Sunday, there was even this law. And any, any tradition can, can go down the wrong road. But the height of this, this type of emphasis was that to ring the church bell one more time than is necessary is as great a sin as to kill a man. That was a law. It sounds ridiculous, but their logic was, well, they were very concerned about not breaking the fourth commandment. They decided that that was breaking the fourth commandment. And if you break the fourth commandment, every commandment is equally breaking God's law. Fourth as well as the sixth, you can't really prioritize them. That's a little extreme. I have to tell you, Reformed Christians and leaders, uh, going back to the time of the Reformation, late 1500s, early 1600s, they made a, a deliberate choice not to go that route. And that's reflected here. Here we have that it's a day of rest. You notice that without spelling out all of the negative details of what that means. Instead, what's added is that we have a festive day of rest. In other words, they're saying it shouldn't be a boring day of rest. So what I'm trying to to pull out of here for you is giving you a sense of our Reformed forefathers' approach. And I believe that it was a good and healthy biblical approach. Christians look at this commandment differently, and they come out differently on this commandment and how they interpret it. But I would strongly recommend this approach. I believe it's the best I believe it follows the Bible most closely. We see that even in the Senate of Dort in 16, 18, 19. They did more than come up with the canons of Dort. We have them in the back of the Psalter hymnal. They, did, they had all kinds of stuff they dealt with. They gave some direct details in, on this commandment, but their emphasis was freedom. Their direction that came out of that group of pastors was take advantage of this day as one to grow in your walk with God. That's where they ended up. That's our history. So you add to that our approach to all of the commandments and what it should be. Christ didn't die on the cross and free us from our sin to make us wallow in guilt, to beat ourselves over the head. But he died to make us free, to live positively, Lives of thanks for him. That includes having a Sabbath, a day of rest to observe. That positive thrust, I think, is so important. If we don't have it, we've got to get back on track. How could it not be a happy day to be rejuvenated? How could it not be a happy day for you to get out of the rat race of life? to gather with God's people and sing praise, to be affirmed of our faith, to be reminded of the love of God. How can that not be a festive day and great? Third, we're called to publicly participate 
in the assembly of God's people. We're called to publicly and actively participate. And this, this is kind of getting at the bulk now of the first half of this answer. This is especially about public worship. You notice it doesn't say go to church, but it talks about the gathering of God's people. That's what worship is about. It's not some static thing. It's not about going to a building. Worship is about the gathering of the saints. And every Sunday, it's, it's a pep rally for the soldiers of the cross. It's a pep rally for you and me. As important as our personal devotions are, as important as our gatherings with other Christians are, whether it's in accountability groups, small groups, Bible studies, the weekly gathering of public worship is so important. It's so important that the Belgic Confession, another one of our confessions in the back here, Article 28, it's so important that the Belgic Confession can't conceive of salvation outside of the gathered church, the gathered people of God. And then all of these details fall under that assembly of God's people. The very first thing we get is, first it says, the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained. Now that's listed first, but it really falls under the assembly of God's people. That's about supporting seminaries, encouraging people to enter the ministry of the gospel. We support both. We support teachers, professors, students, because preachers need to gain knowledge and skills to be able to instruct God's people. We are called to learn what God's word teaches. We do that in many ways. We do it especially, as this Bible study reminded us earlier, through the living preaching of God's word. We heard that in an earlier lesson. That's especially how we learn what God's word teaches. Faith is produced in our hearts by the Holy Spirit in the preaching of the gospel. That happens whether preaching is, is expository, like we usually have in the mornings here, or like we usually do in the evenings, whether preaching is catechetical or topical. The basis for this strong view of preaching is Romans 10. Paul says, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So learn what God's word teaches many ways. Preaching first and foremost. All the rest are coming under that. We're called to participate in the sacraments. That's another reason to meet with God's people. We did it last Sunday again. We celebrated Lord's Supper We're having uh, some baptisms this Sunday morning, this coming Sunday. The sacraments confirm and show us what God's word tells us, that Jesus loves us. Praying to God publicly is mentioned here. We're going to get to prayer in the last part of the catechism. This lesson tells us public prayer is important. We need to cultivate our personal prayer life. We need to pray with other Christians. And we need to pray together in worship. Finally, we're called to bring Christian offerings for the poor. We reach out to those in need in the church, outside the church. So these are some of the activities and the the purpose of the public assembly of God's people. Now, so all those activities. Now, I said earlier... We don't have a negative list of do's and don'ts. 
about this day. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's called for. But to truly take this day of rest, to really participate actively in the assembly of God's people, I mean, choices will have to be made. To get all this great stuff in, this day simply cannot look like any other. If you live it like any other day, if you're planning on going to the store and running errands and packing the day with stuff, how can you possibly live the day positively? So what, what we need to ask ourselves is, how, how can I free myself and my family up, if you have a family, in order to truly celebrate this day of rest? Talk about it. Think about it. Anything that hinders you taking the day of rest, you need to take it out. It's a very foolish soldier that's constantly in battle, especially when that soldier's been given a day of rest to take. It's a foolish soldier indeed that chooses not to take it or chooses to inadequately take it. So while it's not about do's and don'ts, there is an appropriate self-reflection and analysis that needs to happen to ask what's helpful or not for yourself, for your household. For example, this, this big Senate Adored I mentioned, they, gave, they did give some suggestions. And one of their suggestions that I think is, is, is great today as well, actually I think almost all of them are, they say playing sports is, is fine. And this is where it gets dangerous to get into the very nitty-gritty and the details. And that's why our catechism doesn't do it. But I'm giving you an example of what I think is a healthy approach. They said, hey, Playing sports, doing sports, that's, that's fine as long as it doesn't take you away from worship. That makes sense? I think that's relevant. Even, even back in the early 1600s, Reformed people didn't outlaw sports or doing recreational things. The question is whether sports or any other activity will take you away from truly celebrating this festive day of rest. Ask yourself, as you look at this day, are you foolishly choosing to stay in the rat race of your life? Or are you actually listening to God's command to remember, to rest, to be about these rejuvenating activities, especially with God's people? Fourth, finally, we're called to Live out of the eternal Sabbath every day. And, and that's, that's the second part. Every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. When we follow God's plan for Sundays, for the Sabbath day, we're going to be, you know, so this, this gets beyond Sunday, doesn't it, really quickly. What, hap- what the deal is, if we follow God's plan for Sundays, what's going to happen? We're going to be equipped to continue our quest for holiness all week long. We'll be able to live every day like God calls us to, resting from evil, putting away sin, letting God live in us. We'll be able to live every day with heaven in mind. We'll be able to live every day out of the power of salvation. And and so many of these areas that we talked about that fall under public worship, learning God's word, praying, offerings, those aren't just Sunday activities. Notice it says here that especially 
on the festive day of rest, I do these things. We do these on Sunday, but it implies we do them other times too. Studying God's word, praying, giving of our time, our material blessings, serving those in need. That's every day. Our faith isn't alt- is not ultimately about getting one day right a week. But this day has a very special rejuvenating function that helps us to be about our mission and our calling on this day and every day of the week. When we listen to God on this, our spiritual life, our walk with God will advance greatly and he'll bless us.